Hello, everyone. Welcome back to BungaCast, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. My name is Alex Hokuli. It's Wednesday, the 28th of September, and that means that very recently, uh, over the weekend, Italy held an election uh, in which the Fratelli d'Italia came out as the leading party. And we're very, very happy uh, to have joining us today to talk this through uh, Mattias Salvia, who's formerly politics editor at Rolling Stone Italia, and prior to that was at Vice Italia. Uh, he's also the author of a book which has just come out called Interregno, uh, Iconografia of the 20th Century, um, 21st Century, actually. And, then, and I didn't even say it in Italian as I should have done. Mattia, hi. You, you correct me, please. Hi, guys. Good to be here. And uh, the book is called uh, Interregno, Iconografia del XXI Secolo. Very good. Thank you. That's, that's great. So um, all of our Italian listeners should absolutely check it out, though. I, I imagine they're already familiar with uh, Mattia's work. Um, he's also, I should uh, point out, the translator of our book, The End of the End of History. Um, so it's been great to be working with uh, Mattia, and it's you know long overdue to have him on the podcast. Uh, so welcome. And of course, uh, George uh, Hoare is here. Hello, George. Yes, I am. Hello, Alex. Good and... to see you. And Philip Cunliffe uh, as well, um, who I've assured too. we are going to talk about the European Union uh, in this podcast. So, and, and it, maybe even the possibility or not of Italy exit. So, um, just taking off the boxes there. It might even be a, it might even be important for Italy, you know, to talk about the European Union. It, I mean, I know be. that's I know that might I know that's a hard and controversial proposition for you to accept, Alex. But no, yeah. I, I I just I I think the European Union is very important. I just um, <laughs> I'm just not a believer that it's impossible to overstate the importance of the European Union. Um, but we'll we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, I, I it's I like to just start these off by riling Philip a little bit. You know, kind of get him, get him charged. Wait, waking um, him up, getting him. You know, I, I've got my can of Coca Cola. I'm awake. So I don't, I'm I don't woke. need riling up. I'm awoke. I'm woke. I'm here. <laughs> of course. All right. Very good. Um, so let's let's get into it. I mean, uh, we're dealing with a situation which Europe is in crisis, and um, it's not just. That the storm clouds are gathering ahead is, I mean, everybody knows what's coming. And electorally, this is throwing up things which I don't think we can even describe as surprises anymore, because we know that any election that's held now at the moment will likely throw an incumbent out of office just because of the sheer difficulties that are being faced by everyone. Um, so there was an election in uh, Sweden, which uh, threw up the, the, the right wing Sweden Democrats, which uh, maybe we could call it a, a blowbar sopa of reaction. Um, our latest episode was actually on France, uh, which was a cassoulet of disruption, discussing Macron and uh, Macronistan, um, and how France itself seems to be in perma-crisis. And obviously today we're talking about Italy, because of course, how could we not? Um, so just to get this started, how are we going to classify Giorgia Meloni's government? Is it a caponata of chaos? Um, you can obviously feel free to avoid any sort of food references at all and, and just talk about the politics. Mattia. Or indeed alliteration. <laughs> no, a lot of uh, a lot of people uh, seem to think that she's a fascist. Like uh, this, this is something that I heard mostly from foreign sources. Like uh, last uh, summer, there was this opinion piece by David Brother on the New York Times, and uh, recently, more recently, there was um, another piece on the Atlantic. And um, so. This is probably due to the fact that the, the party is actually a post-fascist party. Brothers of Italy, it's basically a, a rebranding of the Italian social movement that was the successor party for the National 
fascist party. Uh, and also the logo is very clear about this, uh, this roots because you have basically the, the, the three color flames sprouting from the, from Mussolini's tomb. So the, the aesthetics is very, is very clear, but, um, I think that these assessments are, um, are wrong because that, um, that is only a, a coat of black paint that, uh, she, she wears over herself. Maybe she privately, privately he's fascist, but, uh, in terms of politics, uh, brothers of Italy is basically, um, a liberal conservative party. It has to appeal to a very small base of nostalgic uh, fascist voters, uh, but that's not what's happening here. Like uh, that's not twenty six percent of uh, the the electorate. Yeah, and I mean, so the, obviously, I think this this question of of fascism might as well deal with it right off the bat. I mean, you've already introduced it. Um, and I plan to discuss it because it's something that is worth kind of distinguishing. I'm, I've made the point, you know, with, in Brazil with regard to Bolsonaro that he, I would probably classify him as a fascist, but it doesn't really matter because it's not what's inside his head. His government isn't a fascist one. And I wonder whether you can say the same thing about Meloni. Yeah, I, th I think so. Uh, she will not march on Rome, although the symbolism of, of uh, her coming to power exactly 100 years uh, after the Mussolini's march on Rome is, is very is scary or uh, uh, revealing of, of something. But uh, she, she maybe is a fascist, but she will not govern as one because she is a career politician that always work inside a broad coalition of center-right and she, uh, she is leading a party that was very small in terms of votes until last elections, it was like 10 years ago, it was like 4% uh, of the electorate, something like that. And uh, so she has to, um, she basically uses uh, fascist rhetoric uh, to her own base, but she will be no different from Salvini or from Berlusconi. Uh, also, I think that the, the, there is a similarity between uh, Giorgia Meloni and Salvini. Salvini too was uh, was governing in a very different way from the roots of his party because the league was a, a regionalist party from from northern Italy and uh, after it became uh, an like a all nation party uh, it had to abandon his uh, his regional roots uh, yeah. it even changed his name I would, I think I would, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure I buy the Alex line about um, Bolsonaro being a fascist without kind of a fascist government, because I'm not sure it may, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you, and it's not like you can be kind of um, a fascist without a fascist movement or, you know, a fascist party. I that's my, really that's sort see. of my point. Yeah. I mean, that it, it ultimately doesn't come down to, or doesn't matter what's inside your head, what is, you know, what or what you're right. the dreams you hold for politics it's about what you do i mean the other thing i would add to i mean the other thing i would add to the maloney um equation as well is uh, you know she and this is so whoever was uh, had the shots lined up or whoever was um whoever had the kind of countdown timer on the other reason maloney can't be a fascist is because italy is in the european union <laughs> it's not a national it's not kind of an independent state 
you know, so it doesn't have the kind of, um, you know, control. There isn't the control over state power that you would need for kind of the kinds of policies that fascists would um, uh, wish to enact, you know. So, I mean, there's I think there's just basic kind of features of the state which are incompatible with um, fascism, at least as, you know, kind of classical so, 20th century fascism. But the other thing as well hmm. is um, just to add to it. I mean, she also won the vote, right, which the fascists didn't actually do. I mean, you know, in both kind of both cases, both in Germany and Italy, it was kind of, you know, fascists were put into power, leave it into power by pre-existing traditional elites, whereas Maloney has won the vote fair and square. So I think those two things are also kind of important qualifications um, to the discussion. It sounds to me like you're mounting a defense of the EU here, Phil, because it makes fascism literally impossible. And I'm surprised to hear you <laughs> have changed your tune in this way. Um, but, <laughs> yes, but no, I mean, actually, that's, that's the appeal. I did some um, I did some research um, in advance of us recording and the, the definition of the fascist, the dictionary definition of a fascist is somebody whose politics I don't like. So actually, I think Maloney is a fascist and so is Bolsonaro. And so are you listener if you disagree with with this um, with this analysis? So, um, no, I think it's I mean, I don't want to be too like reductive, but I think the the idea of having talking about all this, like, is this person a fascist? Is that is that movement a fascist? It's it seems to me like I've made this point on the podcast before. It's it without the context of of, of a militant working class that fascism could respond to. It's just not the same situation. And so using these old like labels, it seems it's a bit of a. I don't know. You can see why people do it, but it's just not the same, the same sort of political situation that we were previously in. Yeah. And I mean, so let, let's return to the question of democracy and elections, because as Phil rightly points out, it, you know, Maloney has uh, one election. She, uh, her uh, Fratelli d'Italia won 26% of the vote. Um, but this didn't come, I think, as a shock. Uh, Mattia, you've even written that this this very much wasn't a shock and not just because the polls were predicting it but even if you hadn't paid any attention to any of the polls if there hadn't been any polls indicating uh, who would come on top in italy in this election you still wouldn't be particularly surprised just because of this whole history of populist and nationalist breakthroughs over the past 30 years really yeah. or even longer so uh, matteo tell us <laughs> tell us how you weren't shocked and and also, actually were people in italy shocked i think that's an important uh, question too i i also wanted to throw something else in was could you give us maybe a breakdown of who who voted um for the brothers so in terms of like um you know kind of what parts of the country what demographics because i saw some reports about kind of how popular maloney is in old communist strongholds um, but I, you know, just a kind of a big, uh, a broad brushstrokes kind of, you know, picture of who mm. voted, and particularly also if the brothers have picked up any um, any ethnic minorities, or whether ethnic minority voters still go for other parties. I think that it's still uh, a bit early for uh, for like having precise uh, breakdown of the vote, but uh, you can definitely say that. Uh, uh, Brothers of Italy was supported by middle class, impoverished middle class, and uh, some sections of the small uh, bourgeoisie, and um, it didn't really, um, uh, it didn't, it didn't really manage to uh, capture uh, votes votes from the working class. But basically, the the like the the turnout is very low. Uh, but it's mainly the working class that uh, it's not voting. 
that is not going to the polls. Basically, what we are seeing here is a competition among uh, between two different uh, strains of the ruling class. We have um, an establishment ruling class that supports a democratic party that is the liberal progressive uh, establishment, and then we have um, another uh, like. Um, uh, liberal conservative strain of the ruling class, maybe the small bourgeoisie, the, the ones that are more hurt by the sanction to Russia because they work uh, in with uh, um, like in exporting goods to Russia or they work in the in uh, uh, like uh, with German companies that are now being affected by the energy crisis. And um, and so they turn to to the right, but uh, the great factor that, that is not there is the working class, and uh, I think that is due to the fact that uh, we had the, the experience of the Five Star Movement, that basically what a was a big tent party that catered like to very different social strata, but also it it acted as a, a la the last possible vehicle to express uh, uh, political participation from the working class. After that. Uh, like the working class stopped voting. And um, in terms of why we were not shocked, I think that that uh, as more, uh, uh, it's more a fact of being exposed to the same anti-fascist rhetoric. I, I've wrote a piece, uh, I've wrote a piece on, on Popula on this uh, topic like two days ago. And um, like this election was, um, was uh, fought again on uh, on terms of fighting against a fascist threat this is the same rhetoric that we have seen for salvini four years ago and this is the same rhetoric that we have been seeing like since the 90s like since berlusconi so uh, uh, at some point you you start thinking that if everything's fascism nothing is fascism yeah so you're not scared anymore yeah, no, and and so that's it, it, in society at large. That was the feeling as well, right? That this was not somehow a, a sort of breakthrough, an earth-shattering moment. It was just another, just another event along the way, right? Um, but, and, but presumably, it's worth though, kind of specifying because I mean, you know, they clearly the Italian voters weren't willing to go for the league again. So you know, what is I suppose it's kind of. Could you tell us maybe a bit, Matteo, from inside Italy, what the difference is or what the electoral kind of pitch was, how Maloney differentiated herself from Salvini, because though they they kind of um, they stood as uh, as part of a coalition um, or effectively will govern as a coalition. But I'm curious as to why, you know, what does she offer uh, that the Italian voters don't see in Salvini anymore? I think that uh, it, it was mainly um, a thing related to the, the last government, like the Draghi government, because uh, Salvini's league was uh, um, among the supporters of uh, that government, while Meloni was the sole opposition party. And uh, like people are uh, like, they, they, they don't really trust uh, politicians anymore. So they are, uh, looking for somebody that is not uh, uh, that has not participated in government that is uh, still pure from that uh, point of view. So they uh, they left Salvini in mass and uh, went to Meloni because she uh, uh, she had never uh, gov governed. She was always she was always on the opposition. 
Right. So that gave her a little bit of a sense of being untainted by establishment politics. So, I mean, it, it kind of is interesting because as Italy goes through a succession of right wing governments, which uh, then get, you know, kind of deposed in some way or replaced by uh, center left or technocratic governments, um, it's almost like this is the last, <laughs> it seems like this is the last lot to have their chance, right? Because because you had Berlusconi and Forza Italia, you had uh, the Five Star, which is not of the right, but is is a very much mixed bag, more purely populist. Uh, you've had the Lega, and now you have the Fratelli d'Italia. So, I mean, it's, it, there. there's a sort of grim inevitability in that timeline, um, in, in that <laughs> sort of sense of just, well, here we go, here's the next guys. You know, Lega come through and it's a big, kerfuffle over whether this, you know, nationalist right wing government and, you know, whether it'll destabilize Italy, whether it'll take Italy out of the EU and so on. Uh, and then you have the next step along the line once the once the kind of bottom falls out of Lega support. And it's remarkable to the extent the extent to which it did under under 10 percent. Um, I wanted to bring this into connection with something that you've written about also recently about this idea of whether we're in the wrong timeline. And so I, I'm going to let you explain it, but I think basically the idea is that there's this uh, a sort of a liberal um, concern, even kind of a hysterical reaction, uh, maybe that we would we on this podcast have, have characterized as neoliberal order breakdown syndrome. I don't know if you would do the same about uh, what we're describing, but it's this idea that liberalism wasn't meant to go this way, that liberalism wasn't meant to throw up these nationalist authoritarian uh, politicians, and you argue that actually, in some ways, this is the the right, correct timeline. Um, so maybe explain that for us. Yeah, that's the basic theme of my book. Uh, that uh, uh, that we we do not, in fact, live in a darkest timeline uh, in uh, in a wrong timeline, but we live in the correct timeline because the the it was the it was the the social democratic uh, era that was the darkest timeline, the wrong timeline, like. Uh, it, the timeline is now correcting itself. And uh, I think that uh, it's basically the same uh, as the neoliberal order breakdown syndrome. And, um, and one, um, one interesting uh, point is that uh, this is probably uh, due to the fact that uh, liberalism has become the dominant uh, ideological uh, system like uh, uh, there cannot be anything else in the ideological sphere. Even uh, Giorgia Meloni and the, and the post-fascist party, they uh, they had basically uh, accepted this fact. They uh, and they had, had to become uh, a conservative liberal party in order to govern. And um, so, uh, what we are seeing now is like. Uh, um, a confirmation of, of this because in, without a, a, a systemic rival like the, the workers movement or uh, the socialist movement um, ages ago, uh, liberalism is bound to uh, evolve in this way because the sense the, the, the real uh, the real face of liberalism is uh, uh, is this is the limitation of voting rights is uh, the it's like um, a tool to share the um, recognition, the Hegelian uh, term among the elite, like uh, liberalism is basically a set of rule to, to share that among the elite. So uh, uh, it was forced 
to um, to adapt and to become more democratic. But now it doesn't need to be because there is no threat outside of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's that's absolutely clear. And it's, I mean, something that we've discussed in our previous discussions that we've had on this podcast on Italy. Um, but it, I thought we would maybe uh, turn now to the more specific pictures of, of what kind of government this will um, will will give Italy and what they will face as constraints. So the this is this election has given the right enough of um, a vote to secure a pretty stable majority i think it got 44% of the vote overall that's combined that's the fratelli d'italia together with forza italia and together with the lega um and i think maybe some other small parties along alongside and uh, but that gives them 59% of the seats which is a, a pretty comfortable majority and that's kind of different um, and looks to provide maybe more stability to, to the italian government than previous italian governments have faced which have often you know not very regularly not seen out their full term um, why do they, have they managed this majority i understand that there's been a change to the electoral law and how do you see that playing out do you think that this government will prove more stable or longer lasting than a lot of the very uh, short-lived previous governments? Well, they they managed to do this because the, the changes on the uh, of the electoral uh, law, uh, basically it was something that was born out the, uh, of the populist revolt. Uh, in Italy, the, the, the populist revolt uh, took the form of a rebellion against the political establishment, La Casta, uh, the like p- politicians were considered corrupt and uh, like uh, having a lot of politicians was considered a waste, a waste of money so um they they decided to uh, reduce the number of parliamentarians and uh, uh, this was something that uh, was so um uh, widely accepted that we had a referendum for 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 it and the people overwhelmingly voted in favor of, of uh, cutting in half the number mm. of parliamentarians and and basically that's why uh, you can see a very big majority right now and uh, uh, like uh, we we are seeing uh, uh, the, the political version of the um, of the concentration of wealth we are seeing a concentration of political power by means of reducing reducing the 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 electoral uh, representative uh, bodies um so basically the people wanted to punish the the, the political casta but they ended up punishing themselves mm. and uh, i think that the, the question about uh, how stable will be meloni government uh, has more to to do with um, external factors than with uh, uh, internal factors like uh, uh, because basically the, this concentration of powers uh, looks good for her, but uh, who can predict how will be how will she uh, be able to uh, to manage the economic crisis and also the general crisis in which Italy is uh, is in? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess the 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 internal yeah the, the internal questions or questions internal to the um, formation of her government perhaps maybe less determining than than the general context, which we're going to come to in a bit. But I, I did want to double back to something um, which I always want to talk about when it's elections. But I think it's incredibly important, and people tend to 
gloss over it sometimes, but it's the question of turnout, which you've already mentioned. It was 64%, which is incredibly low, and I think a, a record for the, the Italian Second Republic, right, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's huge. You've already said that it's basically the working class not turning out to vote. Um, so I guess... I mean, I don't know. This is my judgment from the outside. Looking at it, there doesn't seem to be as much, oh, my God, fascists uh, in terms of the reporting on this um, on, from, from outside than there has been previously. I think I remember, you know, with, with Salvini, there was much more hyperventilation about what this might um, lead to than with, than with Meloni. I don't know. But I think at least that grasps onto something maybe unknowingly unwittingly onto some kind of truth there that basically that there hasn't been a sort of groundswell of of uh, of rightist intent um but rather just just continuing dejection i mean is that a, a characterization you agree with yeah yeah i agree uh i think that the the low turnout is basically a, a very clear indication of the fact that the establishment is very short of options uh, regarding uh, the how to get legitimacy for uh, ruling the country like uh, meloni is the last card they can play uh, after that is entirely up to up for grabs like uh, uh, they know full well this and uh, uh, also i think that the this low turnout it is exactly how the system is designed to function because that is uh, uh, um, like uh, the, the general strategy was to uh, de um, generate depoliticization like in the 90s they did that by forcing you to retreat in your private uh, life and uh, con consume uh, and so on right now it's mostly like a, uh, a transformation of democracy to uh, a, a new form of Bonapartism, uh, where you basically are uh, a passive uh, spectator and you choose this leader or this other leader, but and uh, or you can even abstain. But politics is very distant from your ordinary life. Yeah, yeah I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be the second EU guy on the pod on this podcast but it does seem like this this is a trend that the you know italian voters probably realize like their options or their their room for maneuver is pretty limited like the eu is a this massive constraint on italian democracy and does it really matter like in some ways you could say it's surprising two-thirds bothered to come out in the in the first place because it's like still a lot of the um political room for maneuver is going to be constrained by the eu even the possibility which you know um the the, the eu backed technocrats could come in if um if if things go if things go south as it were so i mean yeah i, I don't I, I mean that's not the only reason but it does seem to me that this is it's going to continue this um turnout numbers declining until maybe somebody offers a possibility of life beyond the eu Today. I think that uh, what you just said uh, is also uh, something that they are fully aware of. Like uh, the first moves of Giorgia Meloni uh, are has been to like uh, call Draghi and uh, ask him for help to draft the new budget law, and also Draghi uh, has called like uh, Macron, Scholz, and, and Ursula von der Leyen to guarantee for her. Uh, so um, I think that 
it is true that she has no room for man for maneuvering, uh, but also uh, I think that uh, they are trying to um, experiment with uh, uh, like mixing together uh, uh, a technocratic politics that is determined from like Brussels or the, like with with, with Draghi guaranteeing for for the government and also a, a populist like uh, uh, charismatic leader that uses like culture war stuff to entertain people in order to keep that that um, legitimacy that they need to uh, yeah yeah i mean that's it's a standard pattern isn't it that you, you know retreat to culture wars issues because anything more substantive oh we have this uh, external constraint we can't really do anything about it and so you're left with um some pretty kind of uh politically concentrated options to put it that way I had like a, two specific questions about Meloni. I mean, one, her her kind of concrete policies, particularly in, in kind of economic, social policy, welfare, and so on, are actually pretty right wing. I mean, you know, this is a post-fascist party, but I mean, it's interesting that there is, unlike some other um, examples of populism, not even, a, it seems, a kind of hinting towards a, a kind of more welfareist vision, which is something that, for example, Marine Le Pen does in France um, to some uh, limited success, I think. Um, but it's interesting that the Fratelli d'Italia don't seem to do that. I mean, they're kind of low tax. I think the first thing she plans on doing is cutting yeah. um, unemployment benefits, um, which are already pretty miserly. So um, it just seems to be a, a very much an acceleration of a lot of what has already been going on um, economically. Yeah. And also, it, it's interesting the fact that uh, uh, unlike uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, she managed to get into a government, to form a government, like Giorgia Meloni mm. is, uh, is, is able to do something. Uh, so maybe the, the, the point we have to, to, to take from this is that uh, there is um, a transition from uh, right-wing uh, populism that keeps uh, 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 trying to appeal to, work, to the working class uh, using... Uh, welfareist and uh, other things like that and a new kind of right-wing populist that doesn't care about the working class but uh, it is it, basically uh, betting that he can entertain the working class with cultural wars and stuff while uh, it does uh, like uh, very right-wing economic policies Great. No, I mean, that's a really, I think, important point and it'd be interesting to explore it a little bit further. Um, one thing which I actually wanted to ask specifically on this is to what degree is Meloni and the Fratelli d'Italia more broadly, you know, in terms of communicating, do they um, have a kind of no holds barred a, a kind of uh, approach to communicating in which they only appeal to their base? They're not interested in trying to um you know, appeal to the mainstream and are just kind of strengthening their base. I mean, this is something that you saw to a certain extent with Trump in certain periods that you see with uh, with Bolsonaro, where he's uninterested in trying to win over new voters. He just wants to strengthen his base, which is, of course, important as well in a, in a low turnout context where you just need to make sure that you get your 20 percent or your 30 percent out um, strongly to the ballot. And, and you don't need to worry about winning over kind of uh, middling voters kind of who are who are or floating voters, let's say. Um, does Meloni do the same or is she, or does she try to do more of an establishment sort of appeal like, like to a certain extent nah. the Ben does? No. 
she she doesn't really um, try to to communicate to her base. She's very she's attempting to to be like the next Berlusconi or the next Trump. She's trying to explore different formats. As I said, she was on TikTok with Melons uh, joking on her name. So, uh, but but this is something that. Uh, every italian politician does like uh, maybe maybe only the democratic party doesn't do this kind of stance right but she's trying to like create a sort of speak i guess to the nation as a whole and represent the nation as a whole rather than um speak to her base yeah oh, that's interesting uh, yeah. I mean, do you think she has the political skills in any way to um create a new sort of politics or in some ways um i guess keep herself in power and not fall uh, prey to the same forces which have split apart every other kind of Italian government. I think that she is uh, definitely smarter and uh, more experienced than Salvini, uh, that was the last uh, big name in the in the right coalition. And uh, I don't know. Uh, just after the elections, uh, a video also faced where where Berlusconi was caught saying that he wanted to be the kingmaker of the next government. But I, I don't really know if he will be able to do that because uh, he, he is not dealing with Salvini, which was basically a politically naive. He's dealing with uh, uh, Meloni, which uh, uh, basically is in politics uh, since she was uh, 15. And uh, mm -hmm. she has risen in a very... Um, different environment for her being a woman, like she was the only woman in the in the youth organization of the of um, Alianza Nazionale. Uh, uh, so she she is definitely a capable politician. She is able to to maneuver. So I don't know. Uh, she she will definitely have to. To be careful because she is assuming government in a very difficult uh, situation but she, but judging on the moves she uh, she is making uh you can not rule out the possibility that she uh she will last uh, long or she will last uh, a decent amount of time mm. i, I want to get to this wider situation in just a second but i guess one one final thing is yeah i mean you point out that um i guess she's not Meloni is not actually something new, but she's uh, she's an antica, uh, an antica coata, um, which you might have to explain um, and exactly what that means. Um, but but also, I mean, obviously, this is of interest to us on this podcast, as uh, our evil patron saint is Silvio Berlusconi, I mean, so much so that you know we liked to consider ourselves up to this point the the brothers of Italy, um, but now these fascists have come in. And, uh, and 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 taken what uh, was ours, which I think Jesus, is, we're, we're that, aggrieved. That was terrible. <laughs> um, the, brothers, the, the brothers of Bunga, maybe, for telling right. Bunga, but yeah. probably not. Probably not the, the Italy <laughs> brothers sounds like a bit like the Mario brothers, Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario. Right. Brothers of Italy is the first line of the Italian national anthem. That's why yeah. she chose uh, that phrase. Mm. And also, it's interesting that uh, she's uh, doing the same kind of moves as Berlusconi. Berlusconi called this party uh, Forza Italia, which was what you say at the stadium when the, when the national team is playing. Uh, so uh, this is, 
this is very very similar. It's the same sort of sloganeering and as a as a basis to create a, a kind of pretty flimsy politics on top of yeah no so I mean so there, I guess there isn't anything particularly new I guess is what you're saying about uh, about Meloni I mean it's just a, a continuation along the same line. Uh, I think that she is a continuation yeah but uh, uh, as I said she is the last uh, card the, the establishment can play so. Uh, we can already see what what is uh, um, what could come after. Like uh, in the last election, we had some parties that, that ran uh, to the right of Meloni, and not in terms of like new openly new fascist parties, but in terms of parties that uh, were trying to uh, capture the rage of the um, impoverished middle class, and they were basically. Um, they were basically anti-liberal, like uh, one was called Italexit, which is a very mm. explicit name, and uh, another was called uh, uh, so Sovereign and Popular Italy, which is another very explicit name. Uh, basically, the, the promises of the, the populist uh, revolt uh, that were like taking back control uh, those have been like betrayed by Salvini and uh, probably they will be betrayed by Meloni. And uh, after that, there is not really uh, another wing of the ruling class that can uh, assume power to betray that, these promises again. Mm -hmm. well, that's fascinating. We're going to come on to a bit more of that in just a second. But I want to take the opportunity to say that if you're new to BungaCast, make sure you hit subscribe wherever you're listening to us, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, uh, or any, any of the smaller brands as well. Uh, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to keep updated on new episodes and much more. We're at BungaCast everywhere. And if you do know us and like us, make sure you drop us a review wherever you get your podcasts. You might even consider giving us Cinque Stelle or five stars, if you will. And just to give you a shout out for what's coming up, uh, we have plenty more on Brazil's elections, the first round of which are taking place this Sunday. So Bunga Zone 2022 is continuing. Uh, we have a retrospective on Gorbachev as a 20th century figure, uh, as well as uh, kind of reflecting on what the 20th century was as it draws ever further away. And the second section of our 2022 reading club is drawing to a close. Uh, it will be concluding with a study on conspiracy theories. Are they growing? What do they say about our understanding of our own agency? And what are the boundaries of paranoia and skepticism? Getting back to it, um, Phil, uh, we, we wanted to turn on to the, the question of Ukraine about uh, the energy crisis and so on. So take it away. Yeah, so the energy crisis is, um, I mean, it's obviously kind of, we're talking on the day that the news just broke this morning about the attack on the um, Nord Stream infrastructure in the, in the North Sea. And uh, Italy is especially exposed to the energy crisis because it's so dependent on gas imports, especially from Russia. And what has been kind of very striking in the run-up to the Italian election was how uh, vocal um, Maloney was about not only her support for um, the European Union, but also for NATO. And she recently tweeted at um, uh, Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, uh, encouraging him to stay strong and that he has Italy's and her government's full support. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about 
um how the how her <coughs> excuse me <coughs> sorry still do still lingering effects of covid so i was wondering if you could tell us a bit about because it's striking how unlike some uh kind of national populists in europe maloney has made explicit efforts to uh, differentiate herself from putin um and especially i mean you know and it's kind of this was one of silvio's famous um you know famous kind of uh, characteristics was also his proximity to putin in um in the 2000s so i was wondering if you could tell us a bit about that and also perhaps uh, the bigger question is how badly is the energy crisis going to hit italy do you think there'll be blackouts um or do you think that italy will manage to get through the crisis with support for consumers and without um kind of long-term damage to industry well um i think that the, the first point i think that uh, uh meloni is definitely atlanticist and that was also true for salvini Salvini was uh, seen as uh, being close to Putin, but uh, he is not Putinist. Like uh, he has distanced himself from Putin uh, after the start of the war. And uh, I think that he basically used this proximity to Putin, this uh, uh, like uh, as, as a way to shock uh, the, the establishment and to present himself as an outsider. Uh, so it was part of, the, of his populist strategy, but uh, it's not a, a real thing. And uh, I think that uh, for Meloni, uh, we are seeing a, a different thing. Like she is basically part of a, a right-wing tradition that uh, uh, is um, really... Um, uh, you can call her fascist, but she's not fascist. She is more than more a uh, Western supremacist, like uh, uh, she is similar to the Azov Battalion or to Anders Breivik in that, like uh, um, they are not fascists, they are not Nazis, you can call them that, but uh, this is mainly an aesthetics, they are really fighting for be to be co-optated in the family of Western nations. They are like the other battalion are, fi are fighting for uh, the co-optation of Ukraine uh, nationalism in into the West. And um, Meloni is uh, something similar to this. So uh, it, it's only normal that uh, she supports Zelensky and she's against Putin. She is basically uh, affirming herself as a member of the Western family. Uh, why for the emergency uh, why for the energy crisis uh i don't really know uh, we heard uh, today that uh, our stockpiles of gas are uh, enough to um, to face the winter and uh, so probably we will see like uh, um yeah. we will see rationing we will see like uh, limited uh, blackouts or something planned uh, but uh, I don't think that uh, uh, this will be a big problem for the for, for the ordinary life in Italy. Maybe the, we should ask them the, the questions about um, how the Italian and European industry will uh, face this, uh, not just a shortage, but the, the rising price of gas and how this will affect the, the industrialization of the continent. 
Yeah. So do you? I mean, do you have any thoughts on the effect on on Italian on the Italian economy on Italian industry? Uh, we can we can already see that prices have been going up, but uh, I think that we are it, it is still too early to to see the the real uh, consequences. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it was interesting. I think you had noted as well that the the markets hardly responded to the election results. So maybe some of these difficulties are already priced in. And as regards what exactly the Italian, this new Italian government will do, there isn't any real sense that it will do anything, you know, quote unquote, disruptive from the from the perspective of of markets. Or or people know that the EU has uh, tools if things go in a difficult direction. So I'm being the EU guy again, but um, this could be another reason why markets don't mind because, you know, Ursula can come along and um, <clears throat> put her finger on the, the scales and sort well, things out. So. But, I, but I think markets were more shaken when, when Salvini came in. I mean, there was more there was more uncertainty then, whereas with uh, Meloni, there doesn't seem to be. So I, I'm not I don't know if that's entirely the explanation, um, but I mean. I think I think there obviously is a, is a point to which the uh, Meloni will not pursue any confrontation with the EU. I think in in a direct sense, so unless unless I'm wrong, what do you, what do you think, um, Mattia and and indeed Phil as well for that matter? Yeah, I think that she will uh, she will not be disruptive uh, to towards the European Union, and uh, she will basically align with uh, the um, with, with the current trends I, I think that uh, we should not see Meloni as uh, uh, an anti uh, EU force uh, sorry an anti-european force but we should see her more like the Visegrad bloc like uh, I, I think that is more it's more possible that she will align to that block and she will um, push like American interests and uh, inside the, the European Union. Right. And I mean, some have made the point, uh, some on this podcast, in fact, made the point that actually uh, the Fratelli d'Italia will actually in some ways strengthen the EU rather than weaken it. Phil? I think, I mean, that's the logic of the situation so, I mean, you know, we've been used to kind of setting up these confrontations between these populist insurrections at the ballot box that are then um, squashed by uh, the tools, you know, which is to say that the European Central Bank basically can inflict um, tremendous punishment on uh, any member of the Eurozone that has offers any prospect of diverging from uh, you know, from the line. And this is what happened essentially with the ousting of Berlusconi um, and also with the um, installation of technocratic government, the Draghi technocratic governments. So um, the point being, right, that they, this that this is the kind of pattern up to now, but what is more likely, given the fact that Maloney and other populists have basically surrendered to Brussels, what is more likely is that their accommodation to Brussels and their accommodation to um, the European Central Bank means that they will help to legitimate the European Union. So they'll make the case for the European Union as a kind of, um, you know, a place where there is the possibility of cooperation between these um, nations and that they will uh 
parade, you know, the kind of cultural defenses. Um, they'll talk of the culture wars in inverse proportion to their capacity to actually affect meaningful political or economic change within their countries. And so the effect overall will be that you'll have a re-legitimation of the EU, but not in terms of liberal technocracy, but rather in terms of national populism. So, I mean, I think that's kind of um, a likely direction of travel. I think also, though, I think it'll be it'll be more difficult for I think her dogged commitment to supporting NATO in Ukraine will be more difficult, I think, um, to sustain politically, especially if there is, you know, especially if there is a very sharp energy crisis. I think that will be. Um, you know, that will be difficult. And if there was some, this was a point made by a commentator in um, Compact magazine discussing the um, outcome of the election, where he said there was dead silence, you know, there was kind of loud support and cheering for Maloney's uh, speech. But when she finished the speech by rallying around Ukraine, there was very kind of little support for that from the crowd. So, I think that is kind of, you know, much more likely than a showdown with Brussels um, is going to be some kind of difficulty of having to support, um, you know, having to continue to support NATO's policy in Ukraine when uh, the lights start going off and the heating um, stops. Yeah. Mattia, do you want to respond to that? I agree with that uh, assessment. Like uh, she, I think that the the, the most prob- probable uh, direction is that the European Union will turn into a like a bigger Visegrad, like the the Hungarian option. Yeah, and I, maybe that's a good moment to talk about what the effect of of uh, Fratelli government will be on Italy, because I mean. Think we spent a lot of time talking down the fear mongering around some sort of you know abrupt end to democracy or fascism or whatever um but i guess the reality of many governments like this is uh, a continuing um deterioration of state capacity uh, an attempt to rewrite history especially with regard to italy's fascist past um and the stimulation of of kind of uh, pointless culture wars which um, only kind of deteriorate the social fabric further i mean is that something that you would see as being the i mean (laughs) to put it in the most dumb way possible the downside of of a maloney government i mean that 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 is what the real risk that she represents rather than um some of the the kind of grander claims yeah that is what will happen like uh we already seen him it uh like playing out like uh she's um positioning uh, in a very conservative fashion on like family on uh, uh, minorities so uh, she probably uh, will pursue that kind of politics uh, while uh, being basically neoliberal on the economic side mm. so i guess to, to, to finish this off it'd be nice to uh, discuss a little bit your book or for you to tell us about it, about Interregno and uh, and also to talk about the iconography project uh, as a whole. Well, uh, my book, as I said, as I said before, uh, it, it is about uh, the the darkest timeline. Uh, I try to use that that concept, uh, which is basically a, a meme nowadays, uh, in order to explain 
explain the, the famous Gramsci quote about the Interregno, uh, the ones about uh, um, morbid phenomena that arise from the, the Interregno between the, the death of the old order and the and the birth of the new order. And, uh, and the book is basically uh, um, about these phenomena, like we have chapters about uh, Taliban means or a, chap a chapter about uh, the Netflixation of wars, like uh, wars that become basically Netflix series. We are seeing this playing out in Ukraine in a very clear way, like people is following the war from Twitter and they are rooting for one team or the other. They, they basically are watching a, a TV show. And, uh, and so the book is about this and uh, it is borne out my experience with Iconografia, which is a quarterly print magazine uh, about uh, this kind of things. It, 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 it tries to explore the, the weird and, and the, um, the aesthetics uh, of the present. It basically, it is about the spirit of the times. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I can add something. Having been uh, in in Milan for the for the launch of um, of the book and meeting many of the the readers of the of, of the magazine, I mean, my my reflection or part of the uh, what I would uh, contribute was it was a you know, very good discussion. Um, but the, the sorts of readers of the um, of the journal itself and, and the book uh, were kind of intimidatingly cool um, Milan. I wouldn't say hipsters because that um, has a negative connotation, but uh, young <clears throat> young people. And unlike uh, events in Britain, you know, everyone there was just uh, listening more or less intently to what we on the panel had to say while smoking. And the, the uh, venue was a, a kind <laughs> well, no of no vaping at all. No, no. the 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 wow. venue was a um, a cultural urban beach, um, and so there was sand there, and it was a very it was a very cool venue, and everybody seemed to be really very much into the um, uh, probably less so the the translated comments that I made than um, the you know the arguments of the book and this this idea I think of, of the interregnum, which you know it's it's almost become a cliche. This Gramsci quote in in English now that the the crisis consists in the fact the old is dying and the new can't be born and then you have these all these morbid symptoms but i think there's you know that is the right starting point because the old is breaking down it's losing legitimacy like nobody is really there supporting neoliberalism supporting capitalism but there is no force to bring the new into into play so that's why i think the the book and the and the 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 journal um are so you know capture that mood perfectly and i think everyone i spoke to at least um seemed to to be you know avid supporters of the of the journal and, and the book sold out in in the in the uh, the event so um hopefully there'll be more uh, book launch events and more chances for italian listeners to to buy the uh, the journal at least we will do one for la fine della fine della storia yeah in december Fantastic. Yeah, no, no, we're, all, fantastic. we're all looking forward yeah. to that. Uh, Italian listeners, get in touch. Um, when we have more information, uh, we will give you that information. and Hopefully we can all uh, meet up there together. Um, but in the meantime, of course, you should check out Mattia's book. Uh, you should take, check out Iconografia if you, if you read Italian or at least pretend to like I do. Uh, <laughs> um, they, they, they do you're, at the very least. You're a contributor, least, in fact, very cool. Alex, huh? right? You're a contributor, in fact, of an essay on I am. Bolsonaro uh, being dead. Short... Bolsonaro, yeah. be, Bolsonaro and death, as well as him being dead and undead. Our, That's right. Our dream about uh, the every time Bolsonaro went to the hospital. 
<laughs> yeah um yeah with references to his colostomy bag all that lovely kind of stuff um anyway so um i think that we'll, i think we will leave this here uh matia thank you so much this it's been great talking to you and uh we'll have we'll have to do thank this again guys, very soon pleasure. yeah thank you my very pleasure. much Matea. cheers cheers ciao <laughs> <laughs> so that's italian bring it in there right at the end